Well, welcome to the Redemptification Podcast. And guys, I get to talk to the best people ever. It this makes me feel like a mosquito in a nudist colony. I'm always talking to great folks about good work in the world, and today's no substitute for that. Um, I've got John Rivers, who this guy is unique as he can be. He inspired me from seeing all the things he's done as a second career, and you're going to hear about that today. But one thing that inspired me, and you can check out his profile picture, it looks angelic. There's beautiful clouds in the background. So I had our team make me an angelic (laughs) profile, hoping some of that goodness will show up in my life. But he ran a huge uh, healthcare company and then retired and decided to pursue a lifelong dream of opening a restaurant, which seems so crazy to go after problems. But in 2009, he created his first concept, Four Rivers Smokehouse, and quickly became one of the fastest growing restaurants in the Southeast. He's got a nonviolent revolution going on through changing the world through purpose and barbecue. And I think those are fun things together. I always say I can get someone to go to the worst neighborhood in town for good barbecue. And our friend John makes some good barbecue with his folks. So John, thanks for being here. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. And you've already done something that I'm going to start writing down. I I know you well enough by now. There's going to be so many little tidbits and mosquito and a nudist quality. (laughs) One that I'm writing down, and I know I'm going to have to fill my seats today with your little comments. (laughs) Well, thank you, my friend. So tell us a minute. How does a guy who's in healthcare, which is a stringent rules business, get into the wild, wild west of barbecue? (laughs) <laughs> backwards I, I would say that John you know healthcare was a, a great blessing it was 20 years career that I had in it but you know before I even started going into healthcare I love cooking and I and I always tell people that you know God gives us a special gift and a special talent when we were kids um, and it could be our dreams that we have when we grow up or the things that we naturally go to and he plants those seeds in us and I'm convinced as we get older, John, we th- that seed doesn't go away. Sometimes mm-hmm. we build our heart and build our life around it, and we kind of bury it deeper and deeper, but it's always there. So even in all those years of healthcare, I look back and be a traveling around the country, finding new restaurants, continuously <laughs> you know, cooking on weekends when I would come home all the time. You know, it, it, it always presented itself. And then he uses something to wake you up. And to kind of remind you, and mine was back in 2004, I got a phone call about a little girl that we found out in our community. She's a kindergarten that had cancer. And uh, we tried, you know, we, we, my wife, Monica, and I wanted to help their family out. They wouldn't take money from us, but <laughs> oddly enough, they let me, they, they agreed to let me cook barbecue for them for a fundraiser for their daughter, Megan. And uh, I'll tell you what, John, I cooked in my backyard all these years trying different experiments as I traveled and learned met all these pit masters from all over the place but always for about 10 you know 15 people well this event happened 10 days later okay completely wow. out of our control 450 people RSVP'd and showed up for it and you talk wow. about you talk about God showing up you know, thank goodness, because we didn't have the know-how, we didn't have the tools, we didn't know how, we got a source, and people just started coming in from all over the community and started helping, and it was it was just a beautiful movement to see, and that night, we, we fed all 450 people, we raised lots of money for that beautiful little girl, and nobody got sick. <laughs> <laughs> That's women. That's right. But the biggest thing that came out of it is what we called our barbecue ministry. Because you know what it was? I was trying to explain it to Monica that night, and I was just deadbeat tired and covered in grease and sweat. And and, and I said, you know, I love doing this. I want to do more of it. And she said, do what? I couldn't articulate it, but it was that passion, that seed, you know, that God put in there. When, when you start doing your passion, okay, your calling, what God made you to do, and you align that to your work, your occupation, to your efforts, and you're doing it to help other people, man, you line those three things up, and life takes on a whole different meaning. And that's what you just nailed it, my friend. That's the magic. It's multiplication 
It is. And the thing is, I love the seed analogy because God puts all the power in the seed to accomplish what he wanted it to do. And so you you see seeds that came in the barbecue and you see seeds that are working through other pieces of your life. This is a, a key. So for me, I hum like a tuning fork when I get around God's purpose for me. I'm like, there it is. Yeah. It, it, you feel different. So how did this, you, you have this big event at the end, you're inspired, even though you've done a lot of hard work. How do you step next once you know something's working God wants you to do? You know, that's that's the beautiful thing about it, John, and that's the scary thing, okay? You, you feel the prompting on your heart, okay? The word heart is used 892 times in the Bible, third only to God and to Lord, okay? And there's a reason, you know, when God speaks to you, he moves your heart, okay? And our job is to say yes, okay? The scary mm. part about that is not knowing really what you're saying yes to, okay? When God put in our heart, help this little girl, help this family, we said yes. We didn't know we were stepping into 450 people, okay? When God said, start the ministry, do this, he did, I had no idea it was going to lead to a restaurant. And when God said, open the restaurant, you know, we said yes. We had no idea how many troubles and challenges we were stepping <laughs> You know, but he uses all of that. He has, he knows what's going on. Okay. He uses it to do his will. And, and, and when he called us a few years ago, back in 15, he said, build a farm. You know, it was, I, told, I told him the same thing when I told him I wasn't a restaurateur. I said, you know, I'm not a farmer. God. <laughs> he just he said, say yes. And he, he, you step into the unknown Quite honestly, as scary as it is, there's a blessing that he doesn't tell you all the challenges that you're going to endure. Because mm. if he did, you, we would have a propensity to back down and say no and, and, and to scare away. The blessing mm. is not telling us all the details. Our job is to step in, lean in, and say yes when we hear that calling. Boy, yes is such a scary three-letter word, isn't it? I, mm -hmm. I, I see what you're saying because you don't even know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. You're sitting there going, wow. And the restaurant business, I, we say it's 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 entertainment, it's wholesale, it's retail, it's manufacturing, and it's daycare all under one roof. And uh, most people do it as a vanity thing, and you did it as a ministry thing. Well, a restaurant as a ministry. That, that's an important lesson, too, that I learned, John, is, you know, we're, we're all like some people are going to be called to go across seas and be missionaries and, and spread the word of God, you know, where he tells you to go. OK, but all of us are called to spread the word of God, regardless of where we, he tells us where to go. And that means, too, in the workplace, you know, and there, there's not there's not a separation between work and ministry. OK, God has put you where you're supposed to be, you know, in order to touch the people that are around you that he puts in your path, whether they're sitting in the cubicle next to you or whether they're, you know, in, a, in an auditorium over in, you know, in, in Greece or in Russia or something talking to them. And quite honestly, I would contend it's scarier for people to talk to the person in the cubicle next to them about God than it is a complete stranger <laughs> in a different country. <laughs> Well, the responsibility is different. I say even in places, I said, when you become a somewhere person and not an anywhere person, as my friend Doug Wilson says, it's it's you are responsible. Build an ugly building, build a bad restaurant. Everybody knows. Your neighbors know. It's not like someone far away. So how do you get the courage to start well, a restaurant? Oh, <laughs> it comes with a, with, a, with a fair amount of being crazy. You know, I, I would say this and then and, and I and I, I do contend to what I, I said earlier. If it, if I'd have known all the challenges that were involved in the restaurant mm -hmm. industry, I, I probably would have stayed in my you know comfortable desk, you know, <laughs> running a pharmaceutical <laughs> company. <laughs> but, it, it, you know, you, you do take baby steps. You know, that that's one thing that I always encourage young folks who are just burning to to hear their calling and follow a passion and go do something, you know, God bless you. Yes. You know, follow that passion, but I always encourage them, you know, invest a little and learn a lot, you know, you, mm. 
You That's strong. You, you're going to grow by making mistakes. Make a mistake on a smaller foundation, okay, and learn that same lesson for a lot less money <laughs> and heartache than you do paying for, you know, don't, don't overpay for lessons. <laughs> oh, you just, that right there hits me like a ton of bricks. I mean, to step small but learn big. Um, it's it's something that's so so you just follow the spirit with the next yes. So it's a four hundred and fifty person barbecue dinner. What's the next yes you had to say? Well, that was that was the interesting thing. We said yes to that. There was so much of an awakening of spirit when I was doing that. I didn't open a restaurant the next day, John. It was four years later. Okay? Wow. Yeah. It was, we ran the barbecue ministry in our garage mm-hmm. and for four years or anytime kids or schools or churches needed money, we'd write them a check. And then if they let me, I said, Hey, you know, I'll, I'll bring out my smoker and I'll cook and <laughs> have, a little, have a little event and you can sell it all and make all the money on it. And it, I mean, it didn't happen overnight. That's the point. You know, when you're, when you're, building, you were learning the lesson step by step, like you're saying, step right. Step, and you're, you're building a muscle. You know, when you're when you're training for a long race, you don't go out and run it day one. You know, you start working out and you do it slow and you start building that strength up. And and you know, the first event we did, it was like, wow, it was great. And then we did it again. And we we learned we started training our hearts to say yes, okay, and mm-hmm. to to minister more. And at the same time, it was kind of funny. God was using those instances to hone our skill, you know, but mm. teaching me how to cook, teaching me how to serve people. You know, it's very different from running corporate America, you know, and um, I, 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 I loved it. It's, you know, it was funny on the weekdays, John, I would be in coat and tie talking multi-million dollar, billion dollar deals. And then on the uh-huh. week, I'd be out there behind the smoke, you know, covered in face, you know, serving people. And, and I, I, what happened was the two individuals that I became, became you know I, i'm such a staunch believer in consistency the person i was monday through friday became very different from the person i was on the weekends but monday through friday was it became a job okay and i had to do it and the weekends my spirit would come alive and that that disparity between those two people was too much for me to say you know i can't live i, I need to go where my heart is so the point being, it wasn't overnight. I'm leaving my job. I'm going to do this. Right. It was a right. slow progression that God moved me along and started to show me and hone me in to what the plan that he had for me. You know, it's so true. And I look back, me and Ash, have, I probably changed careers in some way, seven, every seven years or so. And I'm usually the last person to realize it's changing. Ash will be like, oh, you're changing. We're out of that other thing. We're in this. I said, we are. But but my heart leads those things when I'm in love for love's sake, it starts pulling me. So in this transition, as you begin to love one thing and kind of see the other thing as it's as God's great provision to get it what got you here, it and what he wanted for what where he was taking. And so it, it's, uh, you know, what got us going, don't keep us growing all the time. So <laughs> what I realized, though, is what you kind of shared when a job, I, I used to say a job is a task you do for income without an anointing. Mm-hmm. And, and I want what I'm doing to have the flavor and, and, and passion of God's thing. But the hard thing is transitions. That's always, I mean, even having a baby. That last part is a big deal. Mm-hmm. And so so tell us how did you transition? You're you're cooking on the weekends and you're working during the week. And one day your heart is is so pulled that to that weekend thing. What do you say to yourself? It it, it got to be such a, a, a great divide in in my what was speeding my spirit. Because all you know, throughout those 20 years of career, my goal was to right, become the CEO of a, of a large you know, company and running and take it public. And we did, we were two and a half billion dollars when, when I retired. Okay. Mm-hmm. Once you achieve that, then what's, what's really feeding your soul? You know, yeah. is it, is it the money? Is it, you know, you know, complacency is a, is a terrible, terrible, terrible danger that we all face mm-hmm. because of success. 
And the more success we have, the easier it is to default back, be comfortable and not risk it. Well, you know, you've got that same spirit that I've got, you know, that risk is what keeps us alive. <laughs> it's what feeds our soul. And quite honestly, when it's done, you know, there's and, and not not done overall, but done to our capacity. You know, I'm great at starting things. I'm great visionary creator. But thank goodness, you know, God's blessed me with a little bit of sense to recognize, okay, when it comes to running it, you know, get out of the way, you know, because there's somebody else out there that's going to be able to take it and run it a whole lot better day to day than 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 I am. So that's me you know, too. That itch comes, you know, it, it is it is scary just to walk away without anything there. Um, that that's the hardest leap. And and that one I had to do when I went to the restaurants just because of that inconsistency. There, there's a great lesson I learned a long time ago. Imagine the, your, your life in three buckets, okay? This is John, all right, in the work environment, Monday through Friday, okay? Mm -hmm. This is John, you know, and how he talks to his family and his loved ones and, and how he treats them, how he interacts with them. And the third bucket is, this is John on Sundays, you know, when he's praying and worshiping God, okay? And the challenge is, Oh, wait a minute. There's a fourth bucket. This is John Saturday nights. Challenges. <laughs> <laughs> is it the same John in all four buckets? Okay. And when it's not, we end up serving different masters trying to play into that role. And the, the sooner that we can make them all the same, John, okay, it's who you are, right? This, this is who I am. This is what this is the way I talk. This is where words I say. This is the, the way I treat people, regardless of what situation, you know, then our life becomes so much easier to live because we're not trying to be other people. And the, the, the purpose of this lesson was that if there's one line that goes between all four buckets, it's God. It's mm -hmm. one thing that can ground us and keep us consistent in each one of those. If we find one thing to gravitate to that no matter what environment we're in, you know, and to me, I chose God in that situation and that, and that's what changed my life. It, it's, it's so true. I mean, one thing Ash and I did as we reconciled our marriage or as we started trying to build business and even today as we still, which I feel like often we're charging hell with a squirt bottle, you mm -hmm. know, it's, everything trying to live a life that pleases your Sunday school teacher and your economics teacher at the same time. Mm. And most people aren't even willing to try that and believe that's possible. But one thing it does is we lay the Bible out and say, this is the rule book. This is how we, God's in charge. When, when we're, when you show me he, that I'm doing something that it, it and what he says, I'm wrong. He's right. <laughs> and I tell people, you better get used to repenting and eating crow. You start like crow, mm, different feathers. This taste. So you can be repenting a lot if you do a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And that's okay, though. I mean, he, yeah, that's part of learning. You know, right. and, and that's you, you, you can't you think about it. Learning is growing. Right. Okay. Mm. And, and growing means that there's changes that are going on. You can't change and stay at the same place that you are at. It's a journey, okay? Now, in, in, in order to grow up, it means you got to take a step. You got to get stronger. Well, you can do that because you learn something along the way. And, you know, if, if it has to be a, a mistake, you know, that gets you there, then that's what he's going to use to get there. Who was it? Uh, 18th century theologian, uh, uh, Kierkegaard. He said, we, we live our lives moving forward, but we understand our lives looking back. Oh. John, everything, when you come to the terms of understanding and acceptance that everything happens for the reason and the reason for God, okay, you walk into challenging situations with a completely different perspective. And that, that, that change in perspective to me is as little as instead of saying to God, why is this happening to me? Asking the question, what are you trying to show me? Mm. Change your perspective. It's amazing how things will change in that environment and then change in your life. You reframe it. That was so powerful. It's happening for you instead of to you. And uh, one of my friends, I was just on with a young man, Brent B. Shore, uh, that's a very smart guy, permanent equity. And him and I were talking. He said, John, 
think of the difference in watching a live football game and you're there and you don't know what's going to happen. And think of how you watch one once you know the score and you're going through it. Quite different, isn't it? And I said, he said, we know the score. Ah, wow. Wow. I like that. I'm going to steal it. <laughs> <laughs> I think here's the thing. Since there's nothing new under the sun, we're just sowing seeds. You know, I tell people, I said, I said, I, when I spend time with somebody pretty soon, I don't know what's them and me. It's just all Brunswick stew of sharing good words together. And people who think deeply like you about things really, I love because I can tell that you've been doing push-ups in your mind to think about these things. And people that don't do push-ups, nobody can pay somebody else to do them for them. Yeah. To yeah. think about these things deeply. So what, what, how do you work a business like you have? I mean, you got a lot of stuff going. I looked at all your stuff. I was like, holy moly, this got to be God. It's too dang big and good to be. This guy ain't that good. He's got that heavenly profile picture, but this thing, he, he just can't do this without God's help. No kidding. And, you know, it's all the people around you, John. It's who you surround yourself with. You know, it's the same principle. What is it? The five people that you surround yourself in, in life, especially as you're younger, can influence up to 85% of who you become. Wow. And I think it is exact same thing in business. You know, the, the people that you surround yourself with at work, you know, the, the, the challenge means how much you can rely on them. The, the challenge mm -hmm. I get from my leaders, and it's every year, I want you to name who's going to replace you if you get hit by a truck. And I, and I, and I know it's kind of rough and morbid, but what it, <laughs> does, what it does is it forces them to pour into somebody, okay? And when that happens, you're, you're, you're laying your levels and levels and levels of backup. But at the same time, you're able now to grow because they've trained that person behind them. I can take them and put them on another project or put them into another store. But it's it's the intentionality behind mm -hmm. it, creating a succession plan and duplicating yourself, your principles, your culture over and over and over in people. How do you see? Can you still see the purpose of the 400 people serving the little girl barbecue within this big organization you have? Does it still make you feel like that? It, it we are, you know, the minute that's that's a great question. And that's a great challenge. You know, there, there's such a, a propensity for mission drift as you become successful. Mm. OK, um, you've got to have defining guidelines that you stay within and you and and have people that are around you that are going to keep you in those and sometimes that takes a big bat you know upside the back of your head you know and mine came in uh, i think it was 2015 i've got it written around here somewhere i got involved with food network and started doing tv shows and cooking up in new york and flying out to california and cooking for these movie stars and made a cookbook and all of a sudden I'm going all over the place. And my big bat was, thank God, my wife, you know, <laughs> and, and, and pointed out, you know, where was this in God's plan, you know, to, for you to really become the celebrity. Cause that was never the intent and God bless her, you know? And, and so literally I, I can't find it here, but a little teeny sticky like this, cause I don't, I don't like writing a lot of stuff. We wrote a business plan. <laughs> And those five points on there were less, more God, less of me, back to the mission of helping other people, no more celebrity and focus on the team. It was that simple. And that became our business plan. I walked away from Food Network. I walked away from all the TV stuff, you know, and I've never looked back. And, and when I walked away from it, ironically, in 2015, that business plan, that's when God put the farm on our heart. He, wow. I couldn't have received it if I if, if I was leading with me. There I had to be a death before there could be this resurrection. You needed, you know, it's funny. Faith is like a muscle, as I've learned more about exercise. Time under tension is the only language it knows. Yeah. Yes. I you like make it. it grow by being under tension. And, and, and I won't. I want courageous faith 
around the things God's called me to do. I mean, I'd be a horrible John Rivers. I struggle enough being a John Marsh. And each of us got to try to figure out who we are, what God intended us to be, and do that with everything we got. Yes. Well, once you do, I think life becomes a lot easier. Mm. Yeah. President Mark Twain said, you know, when, when you when, if you never lie, then you don't have to ever worry about what you said. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if this is how, how often is our wives the catalyst, though? God gives us these incredible spouses, our compatible opposites sometimes, that says such I, it's funny, I was trying, I, I want to be the hero in front of Ash Steele. I want to be, and one time we were in Mexico, and I don't dance, but we're on this balcony, and the music was right, and I thought, I dance with this lady. Nobody knows me here, and I chickened out. Uh-huh. And I, it was such a bad thing, and I went to her, and I said, baby, I chickened out. She said, how about a lot more Clark Kent and a lot less Superman? Uh, oh, that hurts. I said, baby, <laughs> you're right. That's what I need to do. Oh, that hurts. That hurts. Yeah, God bless them. Thank goodness they're that strong. Yeah, well, there's a passage. Goodness, I'm going to butcher it because I didn't memorize it, John. But it talks about the word um, uh, cleave in the Bible. And cleave is cleave, one of the words. Leave your happen. family and cleave to, to your, your spouse. That's right. And cleave has dual meanings. It means to separate, but it also means to come together. And if in the back end of that passage is talking about cleaving with your wife in order to get closer to God. Okay. Mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing about that, if you think about it, we as males, because God is, is both male and female, he is he's all in one, right? As a male, we can only get so close. And as a female, she can only get so close. But when we actually come together. We can get uh, we can go closer to God, and I, I man, I think, you just brought something together for me because when Ash and I, I used to chase her, mm-hmm. she chased me, I chased her. We got tired chasing each other, and then we're at the place of divorce. But as we began to chase Him, we began to get closer together. Yep, yep. And it's yep. actually that you just gave me a revelation that is cleaving is us together chasing Him. Hundred percent. Hundred percent, and there there is a ter- Greek terminology in Genesis about around the creation of Eve that translates to complete, and I, I can't oh, remember the, the specific word, but awesome. God gave Adam Eve to complete him, meaning that he was un- incomplete without that companion. That's why I say she's my compatible opposite. And I say it also is that uh, we don't compete with one another. We complete one another. Yeah. And it's, it's such an important thing. So so you get in the restaurant business. You somehow grow from one location. How long till you get to start going, oh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. How does that happen? That's my fault. I'm a, I'm a builder, John. I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm not an operator, <laughs> you know, but my by about three months into the first one, I recognized we had something, and <laughs> immediately I start, you know, the wheels start turning. You know, how do we grow this thing? And it was, uh, it was less than two years later we opened our second one. Um, less than a year later than that we opened our third one, and I loved it. You know, people say, oh, you can't, you know, you're always going to ruin the quality. It's never going to be the same. You can't grow so and so. Same people have told us we can't be, be successful in the restaurant industry and can't sell you know, beef and brisket in the South because it's pork all in the South and regional barbecue and all this stuff. Well, well brisket's our number one seller today. We buy, we, we go through almost 2 million pounds per year and all of it's sold, it sold in the South, you know? So it, it, it didn't take long. You know, the, the discipline is an interesting lesson though. Um, the success breeds, you know, growth, more success, but it also can, in, breeds a lot of temptation of making terrible mistakes. And I learned that, you know, some of the most important things to that we have to stay disciplined around is not necessarily our to-do list, but it's our to-don't list. And when you are successful, you know, you're going to get phone calls from all different organizations and all different, hey, we need you to open up here and come do this and come do that. And, you know, there is a discipline of recognizing just how much the team that you've built can truly withstand. 
because it's it's easy for us. We come up with the ideas. You know, we, they say, oh, I can never do that. Well, I say, God bless you, because I can never do all the things I hate you to do. <laughs> <laughs> but, so yeah. how do you, I love this idea of a to-don't list. We call it our not-to-do list. And I tell people, I say, I'm not sure I can tell you what to do, but I can definitely tell you what not to do. We've had plenty of times where the defecations hit the ventilation. Yeah. It's just been a problem over and over. And and so how do you how do you teach and share with your team? And what's some of those things on that to don't list? Well, you know, that thankfully, you know, I've I've got a team now that will will speak up. And that's the hard thing when you're you know, the more uh, successful, um, charismatic of a leader you are, that's what that's what attracted them to begin with. They want to be around that energy source, you know, and then when that happens, sometimes they get enamored with that energy source that they don't want to speak up against it, even though if it's the wrong idea. So a lot of the last three years in particular of, of my leadership efforts have been investing in the team to give them a voice, to to mm. get them to stand up and express their opinions. And especially, you know, and I, and I put it from a perspective you're doing it out of love, okay? You're not doing it out of disrespect because Lord, you know, everybody is is a fault, you know, and, and they're going to make mistakes, including including me, and sometimes especially me. And, and <laughs> you don't, if there's not, if I don't surround myself with enough knowledge and people that are smarter than me in different areas, and if they don't speak up, we just keep making the same mistakes over and over again. So- it is, it's, it, it, it's not easy because the stronger of a leader you are, the more they're going to want to follow and please. Okay. It's, it's giving them that, that permission and almost sometimes asking them, please, please, please speak up. You know, and if, if it's too much, you know, just put the brakes on. And I've encouraged, I've, I've taught people too. Sometimes it's not a hard no. It might be a great idea. It might just be, you know, when, you know, when we move it from a, a no to let's do this later. Okay. Let's put this on the back burner. And and oddly enough, typically when we've done that, you know, between the time of, of that decision to when we actually do it, God's opened other doors that there's a reason yeah. for that pause. You know, one thing I've said, we learned that, you know, Ash and I did 20 years of marriage counseling after our marriage was broken, helped reconcile over 200 broken marriages from all kinds of things by God's grace, because you comfort others with the same comfort you've been comforted with. But one thing I realized is, and this is kind of that flesh doesn't have a big shelf life. So if you they were in the wrong relationship, I don't know if I'm supposed to marry this guy or this gal. I said, why don't y'all just put that thing on the shelf for 90 days to 120 days and just have no communication. Let's see what God does. When they came back, there'd be nothing left if it was flesh. Yeah. I mean, but you put God on the shelf and you pull it off, and I'm even realizing this now, a dream I had in 2008 is back again, and it's got all the power it had in 2008. And that, to me, is one of God's good things. God is God eternally. Mm-hmm. And um, so kind of what you're saying is, if it's if you can't get in unity, which is the place of God's commanded blessing, just say, let's just put this thing on the shelf for a little bit. Yeah. Think yeah. about it. Percolated on it a little bit, and it's, you know, Coffee always takes a little while to, to get those best uh, temperature, you know. And sometimes how do you how do you do how do you kind of compel or beg your team to give you wisdom when they do feel like it's kind of speaking against the person that's been instrumental in dreaming stuff and all that? Like how how do you how do you invite them in? How do you compel them? Well, you, first of all, one on one, you give them permission. Okay, not in front of everybody else. Two is you, you you not just give them permission, but you implore them of how you need it. And mm. you them. Now that doesn't mean they're going to be Superman the next day and be able to do that. Then you give them you give them small. It's just like you know working that muscle, you know building up for that race. You know throw something out at a meeting that's low hanging fruit. What, what do you guys think if we did this? And you just and, and sometimes I'll look straight at them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and I can see that they want to see it, you know, give them a little nod, you know, and, and take baby steps. 
take baby steps with them and get them to, because all they're doing, they're building their courage. And, you know, it might not be all about you. They, they might just be scared about speaking up, period. So you're helping them build that voice and, and slowly. And then two, as a leader, it's so easy for us to see the solution, you know, especially in a more complex issue. You have to take a step back and realize not everybody puts those pieces together that quickly. And when you put a, a problem or a challenge or a question out there, resist the urge to answer it. You know, when you see the path, you know, you want to bring them along. You know, what's that saying? If uh, if you make a decision um, for me, but you don't include me, then you it's made happening it to me. To me. That's right. That's mm. right. So getting them to make that decision, getting, you know, not, not giving them the answer, letting them figure out solutions. Um, it's, it's sometimes we have to, stop ourselves from uh, quite honestly just being impatient <laughs> and then when it's so clear to you and uh, raising your hand me 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 i got the answer I got the answer. <laughs> give them time to process it well and one thing we we speak a lot to is if you're a future voice looking back like seeing things in the future and having it being compelling enough to work the details back to the present or a present voice looking to the future, the, the gap has built the bridge. Yeah. Give people time to get to that same place. And, and not that even, I think, cause we can get to the answer sometimes maybe fast, try to get to the details fast. Yeah. That's yeah. a whole different ball game, right? That is that. Is. But you know what though? I mean, you think about the, the true definition of a leader, you, you, when you can create a vision and inspire people to follow you. Mm. you know, and it's that's this true skill of the people that can look out into the future, you know, in Wayne Gretzky's terminology, knowing where the puck is going to go and getting there before the puck gets there. OK, you know, it, it, it's so important to have that vision and then getting people to buy in and passionate about it. So it's yeah. it's, it's it's one of our natures to do that. Um, and then, you know, the skill is letting them figure out the details and how to make it work. Uh, another thing I, I say is I think a vision, sometimes like a family photo, they want to see themselves in it, yeah. you like know? That. And, and, and a lot of times when somebody asks us if it's a beautiful family photo, we just look at ourselves. Now our uncle's over there picking his nose. like, Oh, this is a great one. No, no. What about uncle Bob? He's got his finger <laughs> up to the knuckle. And it's like, no, no, I like it. So everybody, tends to see if they're in the family photo and they want to be a part of the family. And so sometimes even now I'm saying when you join our company, know that we want you to join a family. It's not just a company and we're going to lead an integrated life. Um, we're wrestling now some of those decisions. How does, you know, one of our leaders, daughter's uh, recital or a soccer game adjust our team's travel? Mm. How can we be sensitive enough? And so we built this integrated calendar tool that we're using to try to be aware. And we have one of the codes on it is FC, family celebration. And so we 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 don't try to schedule travel for the team on the FC day oh. or if there's an FC event happening. And so it is a little bit difficult to 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 think about it that way, but but an integrated life is what we all long for that you mentioned before. Yeah, I like that. No, that's, that's important. It's, it gets more difficult the, the larger the organization becomes. And I lacked faith that it was possible to do it at scale, honestly. And I just met this crazy dude that spoke Revelation on a friend of mine's podcast uh, named Gordo. He runs a huge, huge construction company out in Dallas-Fort Worth. And this wow. joker's doing it at scale. Yeah. And I told him, I said, you broke my guessing machine because I thought we could only do it small. And now I'm having to rethink everything. <laughs> and, uh, but what a what a great thing. So I want to make sure we get a chance to hit a minute about this farm that has so blown me away. And your idea there, if it wasn't enough to, to be, like I said, passionately changing the world through meat and, and you couldn't do it that way. Uh, you know, Ash's definition of hospitality is I thought of you before you got here. And I can see that in all the things you do, but this farm is next level cool. Tell us a minute about how in the world do you get into farming and what do you dream it could do? 
Well, you know, it's one of those other yeses. When, you know, if, if we're going to keep our mission and the center of our business, okay, and the business keeps growing, shouldn't the mission keep growing with it? Whoa. You know, there, there's a one-to-one -one scale, and maybe even there's a one-to-two scale. You know, can we, can the business even enable more mission work to happen? So as we started taking a look at our foundation efforts, you know, we asked the question, all right, God's blessing us with a bigger foundation of a business. Can we do more with it? And we prayed about it, Monica and I, my wife, and we said, let's put the, let's, let's focus in our own backyard. Because we had money going all over the world to you know, feeding people and helping and education, so and so. And we said, can we make a, tan and to us, that's just what spoke to our heart. Can we make a tangible impact? And we looked and, and it, it, I promise you that what came to heart in 2015 doesn't look at all at what it, it is today. You know, and that's okay. If God had shown me back then, hey, John, I want you to build a $65 million farm campus, you know, and, and feed millions of people a year and teach people about regenerative farming. I, I would ask, ask two questions. What is regenerative farming? <laughs> <laughs> Where am I going to get $65 million? <laughs> he, he, you know, blessed us with the inspiration. There's 20% of our kids that live in food insecurity in our own backyard, our own community, not eating. And it was that little spark when we said, okay, can we start to feed them? Can we start to help them? And it starts to grow. Now, part of the good or bad, part of one of my nature is if I'm going to put resources and time into something, I really want to fix it. You know, like <laughs> fixing a fixing a broken food system, okay, it ain't easy. <laughs> and it, it's it's not one bullet. And that's that's part of the problem that many of our communities face, they keep, you got food hunger, okay, you just throw more food at it. Well, you know, our, our leader of our food bank told me a long time ago, he said, Johnny said, you can't food bank your way out of hunger. And I said, what does that mean? He says, as a country, we are handing out more food than we ever have before, but the number of missed meals and the number of people that are hungry is at an all-time high. Wow. And that's not the solution. So you keep digging. Okay, well, do people understand about where food's coming from? And the truth of the matter is, you know, little Jamal and Jimmy and, and, and Tina, who lives downtown, they don't know tomatoes come from the ground. You know, and how are we supposed to expect them to understand and appreciate and care about the food that's going in their body and the gift that God gave us in this beautiful soil and this beautiful planet and, and our responsibility handed down to us by God to take care of the land, you know, they're never going to appreciate that because they don't know that there's any value in the soil and the land itself. And then we've got all of our farmers who are producing all this beautiful food. But in the state of Florida, we got almost 1 billion pounds of produce that goes to waste on the fields. Okay. There's more, food, oh. there's more food wasted on the fields annually than we could feed all the hungry people, children, parents, grandparents, and the entire state. So how do we connect that? And you can see how the problem just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So we said, you know what? You know, because somebody told me this in the beginning, John, you really think you're going to change the world? You really think you're going to change the United States? And I had to, you know, and because it's a huge endeavor. And what God put on my heart is I went back to this guy and I said, you know what? I don't have to change the whole country. I don't have to change worlds. But if I can change my community, maybe I can inspire other communities and other people to do the same. And quite honestly, even do it better. And that momentum, those dominoes, they do have a greater opportunity and chance to make a significant difference in where we live today. So we started with feeding people. Now we've got a 40-acre farm campus that God gave us, by the way, two miles outside of downtown, which is just absolutely a, a huge blessing that uh, we're building a, you know, a farm campus. And the campus has classrooms. It has eight different growing systems from aquaponics to hydroponics to uh, regenerative farming to rooftop to shipping containers. Um, it's got event centers. It's got restaurants. It's, it's a community. It's a place. And I believe so much in the value and the power of a place. When you create a place that has shared 
identity among people that want to come there, you know, they will co-mingle. And if you set it up correctly, they will share thoughts and ideas. And ideas mm-hmm. generate change. And so we built a place where students are actually, the community college is moving their ag program onto campus. We'll have 500 students per semester teaching them how to, to grow in a regenerative fashion, okay? We've got farmers who we're bringing in and showing them different ways around precision farming to reduce their waste. We created a program where we're taking that food waste off their fields and turning them into meals. And we've now just, uh, we just passed 2 million meals that we've handed out. Holy moly. And it's just, I still tell the team as, as, as much momentum as we have and all the things we've discovered, imagine what God hasn't shown us yet. You know, imagine where this is going to lead and the things we're going to be doing five and 10 years from now. It's unreal. And and I love that. You know what? I, I, sometimes being a former addict, drug addict and helping drug addicts, I feel like you invest in 500 or 1,000 and one naked. That's how it feels sometimes. And you know what? I prayed about it and I just said, but you know what? If you're the one, it's 100% success. And yeah. I've been the one. Mm. I've been the one that was pulled out of the fire, you know, the one that should have perished and God gave me a chance to flourish. And so we keep looking for the ones. And and to your point, if you can impact your community, I just kind of felt God said, hey, uh, I love little places and little things. I shook the world out of Bethlehem Mm -hmm. so I can shake the world out of a little place called Opelika, Alabama, if you'll be faithful. So you're being faithful and your team is, man, you we're so grateful to have you guys visit us and see the work you're doing and see God's hand on what you're doing. And uh, if people want to come, is there a way to tour and see what you're doing at the farm? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's in construction now, John. Or, mm-hmm. gosh, I wish I could show you some pictures. The, the, the classrooms are going up. The, the greenhouse is wow. from uh, Israel and uh, it's in construction. So about summer of this year, we'll have uh, plants that are growing and we'll have students on campus this fall. And then every year afterwards, we start building some of our community. It, as we raise the money, we've only raised about 20 million of the 65. And that's okay. God's, mm-hmm. God's got the other 45. He's got it somewhere. And as that comes mm-hmm. on board, we build more and more of the assets. So the event center, the restaurants, um, all of that, the permaculture forest, it all just sequentially begins coming in. So um, probably about a, a six months to a year from now, you know, folks can actually come on our campus and see it and and prayfully every every year longer that they wait or come back, they'll be able to see even more and more. So so maybe tell them wait just a little bit and come the difference in a home run and a foul ball's timing, right? It is. It is. They can learn about it on the website. You know, it's fourrootsfarm.org uh, four uh, four and they can get some visuals, but. Yeah, uh, next next year or the end of this year will be a fun time to see some assets, and then really as the years progress on, uh, there's just a lot more happening. Well, that's awesome, and we'll put links to everything you guys are doing. Three quick questions as we land the plane, and I've got a thousand things I have to do part part two with you. It's too good. I feel like uh, you get to talking, and my heart gets humming. I get wanting to jump all around, chase rabbits. Uh, so. Let's let's land our three questions that you can we can borrow your your life and wisdom a little bit and things. Who do you know doing good work in the world we should know about? Who's doing something you say, check these guys out. They're doing good stuff. You know, the gosh, there, there's so many people that are doing things. Um, and I and I know this one is probably a, a low-hanging fruit and cliche, but just uh last week, one one of my one of my favorite people and mentors is, is actually Dan Cappy over at Chick-fil-A, and I, I, they do a lot of things behind the scenes that you, you don't hear, but I got to listen to him speak to a group of uh, young employees that he had. Uh, not, he was so kind to invite me just to come and be a fly on the wall and listen, and I think I took more notes than they did. <laughs> but, you know, if you ever have a chance to, you know, to hear him speak you know, about leadership and education and stuff, you know, it is, it's something to, to take a look into and you know, the, of course, your company does a ton of stuff, but man, I, I was just so moved that, you know, one of the most successful, you know, chairmen and CEOs that are out there is taking the time to, to pour into their uh, employees and their team members. And just the message that he had was was really, really inspirational. Exactly. They, 
man, they're such a great organization. Praise God for all they're doing to add value. And so what have you done we should do? What's an experience that you say, hey, this this was this something that mattered to me, something I experienced? You know, one, we love to travel. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's one of Monica and I's uh, touch points. And um, one of the most meaningful trips, and it was funny, we went over for work. Um, mm-hmm. Before we bought this hydroponic system in Israel, I said, I want to go see it and put my hands on it. But that trip to Jerusalem and to Israel, you know, just uh, have, have, have dinner, you know, on, you know, on, on, you know, on, on, you know, off the river, the Jordan River and be able to you know, just go to places that are so biblically special um, and experience them. That was probably one of the most meaningful trips uh, we've ever had. That's something I highly recommend to people. It made the Bible come alive. Ash and I have been eight times so far, and um, every time it keeps on delivering. You see the Word of God different. And those places you read around about that seem like their names are so crazy, all of a sudden you see you see it, and, and it, it brings context. So what are you reading, John, that we should read? Or what have you read? I'm a consummate reader, so I, I, you know, I'm reading some Wendell Berry right now. That's unless you're into regenerative farming, it could be incredibly dry. <laughs> not, not so exciting, but you know, one of my favorite books and relevant to today's conversation is a writer named Mark Batterson, who I just mm-hmm. I love what he writes, and one of the most pivotal and influential ones on me and and this journey of faith and courage and a little craziness all combined. Uh, one of his first books is called In the Pit with a lion on a snowy day. And uh, it is a super uh, easy read and just, it'll it'll hit on so many uh, engines and fire them up on you. And it just, you know, the, it, it, that's taken from one line, uh, I think out of Kings um, and just, you know, how uh, Benahia, who was David's head of his uh, army, you know, jumped in a pit, okay, with a lion on a snowy day and he talks about the lion is that big challenge. He didn't walk away from it when the when the lion fell in the pit. He actually went after it. <laughs> went after it. And, and Mark takes that one passage, that one line, and he draws it into your life of how God puts these ostentatious, big, hairy, audacious goals in front of you. But he's also giving you the courage and the ability to go after them and get them. So fantastic book and uh, just a, a great, great writer. Well, John Rivers, a man talking who jumps into snowy pits. Guys, what a, what a blessing to have him here. Please check him out online. And thank you for encouraging us. Thank you for being a godly man that's wildly passionate about what you're doing. And, uh, and we look forward to seeing all the things God does to you guys in the future. Thank you, my friend. Thank you, John. Great to talk to you today. Thanks for having me on.